out of Jeremiah chapter 24, good and bad figs. Jeremiah 24, verse 1, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. So again, it's giving us the timeline of where we're at in Jeremiah. We've seen several chapters uh, delineated this way. So this is very soon after Nebuchadnezzar comes in and does the first exile, bringing the first group of exiles to Babylon. Uh, Daniel and uh, Hananiah and Asariah and, and, and Mishael were probably among those, as well as possibly Ezekiel. And, um, and so this is right at the end of, uh, uh, just before the king, or just at the beginning of the king, Zedekiah's reign, the last king of the king of Judah. And the Lord showed me two baskets of figs before the temple of the Lord. And so since it's the temple of the Lord where these figs are coming, this very well could be a first fruits being brought to the temple. And Jeremiah is there, whether he's actually physically there and he's actually seeing it. And then the Lord gives him uh, an analogy using that illustration or whether he just saw it in vision. Either way, it's in, before the temple of the Lord. And so it has to do with um, the offerings being offered to God. And so these two types of figs, he showed me two baskets of figs, two different types of figs being brought to the temple of the Lord um, and coming before God as first fruits to God. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. And so again, uh, the one basket's figs like they were first ripe. So first fruits being brought to the Lord, presented before the Lord. And another basket that the figs are so bad, they can't be eaten. And I don't know, um, if you've had fresh figs, usually in the stores, it's hard to get fresh figs. Usually get dried figs, uh, but fresh figs are delicious. And they are, you know, as different as trying to describe a, a raisin and a grape, right? Uh, it, it's like totally different taste. Um, but uh, fresh figs are, uh, especially when they're nice and ripe and juicy, delicious, absolutely delicious. And so you got these good figs that are just terrific, and they're being brought before the Lord as a thank offering before the Lord. And this other basket that is just horrible, uh, and I don't know if you ever had a, uh, a rotten fig or a horrible fig. I used to work on a farm that had fig trees, and we'd climb up into these big fig trees, and we'd take the overripe figs, and we would throw them at other uh, people picking <laughs> fruit, and we'd have these fig fights, and, uh, and bad, rottening figs uh, can be pretty gross, and they hit, and they kind of splatter, and they're pretty uh, slimy, and so, uh, so he's got this basket filled of these Horrible, horrible uh, fruits, uh, fig fruits. Probably uh, you can picture uh, fruit flies gathering around them and hovering over them and, and just the stench coming from rotting fruit and maybe flies and other maggots or whatever crawling around in this basket of bad, bad fruit that you couldn't even eat, can't do anything with. And so you get these two illustrations, these two different baskets of figs being presented, both being presented before the Lord, both being brought to the temple, right? So that's significant. One basket is not, you know, outside, dumped into a, a valley somewhere. They're both coming, both baskets being brought before the Lord.
And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, good figs, very good. And the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. And I said, Jeremiah's a good student, right? he's a smart kid, <laughs> he's able to identify that. What is it? Well, he just tells him what he sees. Uh, not trying to elaborate on it, he just, God asks him, what do you see? He tells him what, you see, what he sees. And the Lord said, like these good figs, I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I sent out of this place for their own good. I will set my eyes on them for good. And so that's kind of an interesting twist that God's doing here, right? The, the, those that are being taken captive, no doubt the thinking in everybody's mind in Jerusalem was, uh, well, hey, they were bad, and so they got taken captive. God allowed them to go, uh, but we're still blessed. We're still here. We're still in Jerusalem. We're still protected uh, in God's walls. We're still here before the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And, um, and maybe some, some smug prideness, pride going on uh, in their hearts. But God gives this message to Jeremiah and he writes it down. And we know that some of the messages from Jeremiah do make it to Babylon. Daniel reads the writings of Jeremiah. And so God might be wanting somehow this, this, this message to make it to Babylon to encourage those that are there. No doubt they were struck with fear. And, 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 and trepidation and, and feeling a loathing of themselves. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? What did I do wrong? How come I am here and others aren't here? Why did God allow this? Why, this, why, did, uh, why didn't we, uh, the leaders uh, in Israel do more? Maybe blaming others, maybe blaming themselves. And God gives them a message similar to what Joseph received from God when he was taken captive to Egypt. This was meant for evil, but I'm going, God's going to turn it out for good. I mean, that's what he ends up telling his brothers. You meant this for evil, but God ended up turning it out for good. And so that's what God's telling him. The Lord said, I acknowledge those who are carried away. I haven't forgotten them. My eyes are upon them. Even though they're not in the land and they're not in Jerusalem, I have not forgotten them. I have not forsaken them. I will never leave them, nor will forsake them. My eyes are still upon them. I am still in control of the whole world. I am the God of the universe. I have acknowledged them. I have written their names. I have not forgotten them. And God doesn't forget us when we're going through trials and tribulations. Sometimes we feel like, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this struggle? Why have I been the forsaken one? Why have I been the rejected one? Why have I been the one that has been hurt? God acknowledges us even those who are taken away captive. And he says, I sent them out for their own good, which is interesting. Took them from an area where corruption from the highest levels was being conducted, and yet being done in God's name. And so he takes them to Babylon where they see real, full-fledged, Paganism and idol worship and false worship and cruelty taking place. And they get to see the difference. Sent them there for my own good and my eyes will be upon them. And we see here the word I used a lot. There's a chapter in the Bible that talks about Satan. and Where Satan says, I will be exalted. I will, I will do this. I will be like the most high. But here we have another I. I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent 
out of this place for their own good. I will set my eyes on them for good. It's all about God. This chapter is not so much about figs, but this chapter is about God and God's care for his people. Even when we're taken away, and we're, we are all captive right now, here in our own state, we are captives to Satan. Satan has stolen us away. He's taken us out of the Garden of Eden. He's taken us out from under God's hand and God's blessings. And he's taken us into himself. And we are all born children of the kingdom of darkness. That's why it's easier for us to do evil than it is for us to do good. There's a very common teaching now that has permeated religiosity and has permeated society and has permeated politics that everybody's good. That there is a spark of good in everyone. And we just need to develop that good out of everyone. But that's wrong. It's wrong thinking and it affects everything down the line. If we believe that and we go with that, then there's no need to go evangelize the world. There's no need for us to change. There's no need for us to confess our sins. If we're all good and we're all born good and we're all born in God's image, then whatever I do must be good. And whatever I feel inside, whatever my feelings are, must be good. And thus, when I do them, you can't condemn me for doing them because it's got to be good. Regardless of what the Bible says. Because I'm good and I'm created good. But the truth is, we've been stolen away captive. And we're not here on, in God's planet anymore. Satan is the ruler over this world. And that's why there's disasters. That's why there's horrible things that take place. We're not in heaven yet, so don't get so comfortable here. And that's what ends up happening to these captives. He says, I will place them there for their own good. And it was so good that eventually some of them didn't want to come back. Don't get comfortable here. We're just supposed to be passing through. This is not our home. This is not our landing place. We are captives here. This whole earth has been captive, held captive by Satan. We're on enemy turf right now. But God sees us. He hasn't forgotten us. His eyes are upon us. And he's going to work all things out together for good. God's going to work out good for them as well. It wasn't God's first plan that this whole thing happened. He no doubt would have rather the nation as a whole and corporately and the leadership would have repented before him and would have turned from their wicked ways and Babylon would not have been able to come through and take us captive. But since it was what it was, God allows the people to be taken captive, this first group, but he says, I have not forgotten them, and I'm going to work this out together for good for them. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Look at all the eyes here. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. And so that's God's plan. And we see historically looking backwards, God did, after 70 years, invite us to come back to the land. And again, we had it so good there, 
God blessed us there. Daniel ended up in a high position. And others ended up doing very well for themselves. That they didn't want to come back when the time to come back happened. We need to be weary of getting too comfortable here. And we forget about going home to heaven. That needs to be our goal. That needs to be where we keep our eyes focused. And so God promises when I build, bring you back to this land, to the land of Israel, when I bring you back, I will build you up. And he wants us, wanted us to build up Jerusalem and build up the temple again. And to not be pulled down again. To plant us firmly as his people in the crossroads of humanity. To be a shining light to the nations. Wonderful promise that he gives to them. Wonderful encouragement to those taken captive. No doubt any of those that read it, maybe Daniel and Ezekiel who read these things and laid hold of these things, were encouraged by them and strengthened by them. And we should also lay hold of them and be encouraged by them when we're taken captive in this land. And Satan tosses us around and causes heartache and troubles in our lives. Keep our eyes focused on God. God will take us through. God will bring us to the eternal promised land. And he will build us up there as a holy temple for the Lord. And we will not be plucked up. And we will not be teared down ever again. He will create a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. We will have a city home in the new Jerusalem. We'll have a country home in the earth made new. We won't have to fear. And there'll be no more fall. There'll be no more sin. And we'll walk with God forever and ever. That's what God wants to do for us. And he uses this whole situation here with the Babylon and all like this as a symbol of, 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 of God's work for eternity. Verse 7 then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So here again, it's all about God. I will give them a new heart to know me that I am the Lord. They shall be my people. I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So all those things God says, I will do, I will do, I will do. I will bring them back. I will build them up. I will plant them. I will turn this out together for good. I will keep my eyes upon them. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will know me. I'll give them a new heart. I'll write my laws into their hearts and minds. I will, and I, I'll give them a heart to know me because we don't have a heart to know God. Again, we're not born with a heart to know God. We're born with a heart that just wants to know ourselves. He gives us a new heart, takes out the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, gives us a heart of love and compassion and love for God and compassion for others. He will do all those things because they shall return to him with their whole heart. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart, the Lord says. When we seek for him, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. When we desire him, above all else, 
we will receive all those wonderful promises that God says he has for us. These are the good figs. And it comes down to the choices we make. He allows us to choose whether we want to seek him or whether we want to seek the things of this world, whether we want to seek the pleasures of this world or whether we want to seek out the kingdom of heaven. He gives us that choice. And he puts in us a measure of faith. He puts in us through his Holy Spirit. He comes to us and draws us with an everlasting love. Like he did for Adam and Eve. He went looking in the garden and calling forth. them. He knew where they were. But he goes looking for them and calling them and drawing them to himself. He won't force us. He didn't go and knock down the tree, pull them out. He comes drawing us as well. And when we yield to him, when we surrender to him, when we seek for him, we will see his face. We will see his eyes looking upon us. We'll see his smile and his countenance lifted up upon us. He'll give us a new heart. He'll give us a desire for him and for heavenly things. And all things will be made new. We will see ourselves in relationship to him. We will see our character. We will see our own natural hearts. We will see our, our selfishness and our pride, our arrogance and our hatred of him, our enmity against him our lack of care for others. And that'll lead us to conviction, which will lead us to confession with the gift of repentance that he gives to us that'll seek after him. When we realize our need, God gives us the gift of guilt. Guilty conscience gives us a feeling inside that we've done something wrong. That we should seek him out. That we should look for him. Adam and Eve knew when they did wrong. God gave them the gift of guilt and they went and hid from him. They felt guilty. And that guilt is supposed to draw us to him, to the one who can help us. And he can. He can then take that sinful record and wash it clean in his sacrifice. That's why he made an atonement for us. That's why the Messiah came to die for us, to set us free from ourselves. And he forgives us, he washes us clean, he removes the sin from us, and he takes our natural, carnal, selfish, hard, stiff-necked heart and he places it in himself and it kills him. And then he reaches into himself and God gives us his very heart. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful analogy of the love of God for us. And then that we have his heart and his mind on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, everyday choice of which heart we want, of who we want to be our God, who we want to serve and he'll be there with us and he'll walk with us and he'll help us and he'll guide us and he directs us he builds us up he won't let us be torn down he'll plant us 
He'll establish us. Doesn't mean we won't have problems. It doesn't mean we won't have trials. It doesn't mean we won't be dragged off to Babylon. But through every experience, his eyes will be upon us. He will acknowledge us. He will write our names down in his book. And he won't forget us. And he will come back for us. And he will bring us to the eternal land where we'll never be broken down, where we'll never be plucked up, where we'll be planted forever and to all eternity, safe and secure, never to be harmed again. So a little bit of troubles here, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever it, whatever it is. And then for all eternity, billions upon billions and zillions of years, we will live before his throne. Rejoicing with him. There's nothing on this earth worth missing out on that for. But as for the bad figs, which cannot be eaten because they are so bad, I will give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, the residue of Jerusalem who remain, and those in Egypt. I will deliver them to trouble for their harm, to be a reproach, and a bywood, and a taunt, and a curse in all places where I shall drive them. So all those in Jerusalem might be thinking, well, hey, we're still here, and those others were taken captive. So we were right. We were the one prophesying right things. We were the ones following the right way. God protected us, and he let them be taken captive. God says, your time is coming. So why did God do that? Why did he take the good figs to Babylon first and leave the bad ones in Jerusalem? Shouldn't it have been the other way around? Shouldn't the bad ones have suffered more? Shouldn't the bad ones have been taken and dragged longer in Babylon? Why did God leave the bad ones in Jerusalem? Because God loves bad figs. And God was giving them more time to repent. God kept them there in Jerusalem with the sacrifices around the temple, with the word of God available to them, with the prophet Jeremiah there among them, so that they would have more time to repent of their sins before Babylon comes through again, killing and slaughtering many of them and dragging them, this time unmercifully, to Babylon. And God's still giving us time. God's still giving this planet time. So sometimes we think, why does God allow the wicked to prosper? Why come they live longer? How come they, they have more stuff? Because God loves them. He doesn't like what they're doing. He doesn't love what they're doing but he wants to give them more time and more opportunities to turn from their wicked ways and turn to him. That's the love of God. That's the mercy of God. We see that with Cain. He could have smoked Cain right there. He could have smoked Adam and Eve right there when they ate from the tree. Probably what he should have done with Eve. Then Adam would have been all right at least. <laughs> God knows, right? But in mercy towards Eve and mercy towards Adam and give Adam free choice. And then Cain, he could have just wiped Cain out when he killed Abel. 
but he did. He gave him time to repent. And God's been giving this world time to repent because he loves even the rotten figs. And God is so powerful, he can even turn those rotten figs into something. Some fig jam or something. He can make them good all over again. He can put fingers on lepers that lost them. He can raise the dead. Nothing is impossible for God. And God can change the sin-sick soul. And so in mercy, God reaches out to the bad figs. And he leaves them there where the word of God is. Because if they were taken to Babylon, there's no way they would have been able to stand up against those gods. They would have just sucked it all in and just became even more distracted and, and more confused. As God left them there for another 11 years. But with a warning from Jeremiah and a clear illustration for them to see. I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. And in the verse that we just read before, in verse, what was it, 8, it said, and those, so under Zedekiah, and those in Jerusalem, and those who went to Egypt. So there might have been some that escaped to Egypt, and some that were taken captive possibly to Egypt when Zedekiah's brother, I forget his name, was taken to Egypt as king, and maybe others went with him then too. He said, they're not going to escape just because they're in Egypt. They're rotten figs as well. God's judgment, is, God's blessing is able to be even in Babylon. And God's judgment is able to be even out in Egypt. We can't be taken away from God's eyes. And nor can we run away from his punishments. So really there's only two figs. Two types of figs. There's really only two types of people. Those that Really, only one. We're all bad. We're all born again bad. We're all born with natural tendency to evil. Right, right from the start, right from the get-go. First thing you probably did was cry. And then after that, continue to cry. <laughs> Make a mess. Demand to be fed. Demand to be changed. Demand to be held. All about us from the beginning. So we have two kinds. We have bad people who surrender to the Lord and whom the Lord transforms and the Lord changes moment by moment, day by day, gives us a heart after him, a love for him, gives us hatred for the things that are against God and against his word, and a love for him and a love for his word, a heart and mind that day by day becomes more and more in harmony with his word, instead of trying to change his word to our feelings, trying to change his word to our lifestyle, trying to change his word to our desires, God changes us and gives us new desires, new thoughts, new lives that seek after him. So we have that group, and we have the bad figs that choose to remain bad. And that's all there is. It's all there is on this earth. There's wheat, there's tares. Analogies give God gives weeds and we, wheat and weeds. Good fish, bad fish, 
good figs, bad figs. And we get to choose what side we want to be on. We get to choose which basket we want to be in. God has given himself to be an example for us. He's come running after us and invited us to come to him. And we can choose whether we want to be a Cain or whether we want to be an Abel. Whether we want to offer the sacrifice that God says, like Abel did, or our own. And remember, both these groups of figs are brought into the temple. So these are not two groups, a group of professing people, godly people, and and, and, and people who turn their back totally on God. Both these groups are being brought to the temple. Both these groups are professing to love God and professing to follow God. One is actually doing it because they've turned to God. They've repented and turned to him with their whole heart. And the other is just going through the motions and trying to mold God into their image instead of allowing themselves to be molded into God's image. You show the analogy, that, that, that parable, the weeds growing among the wheat in God's field. And the same here, these figs are brought into the temple of the Lord. God desires more than just a profession. God wants our whole heart. Every aspect. Because he loves us. And he wants us to be wholly his. His bride. His children. In every aspect of our lives. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want to share us with anyone else. Any more than we'd want a spouse to have other people in their lives, relations in their lives. We'd want our spouse to be only our spouse. God doesn't want us shared with others. He loves us so much. He wants us for himself. Because he knows that's what's best for us. And so as we pray tonight, if in your life you've been seeking God, but not wholeheartedly. Maybe there's some area in your life as the rich young person came to to Yeshua and said, what do I need to be to do be saved? She said, follow the commandments. He said, I've done those. Well, then sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. He said there was only one thing lacking in his life. He was doing lots of good stuff, but there was one area lacking. He was still holding on to self. Didn't want to surrender all. Didn't want to follow him all the way. If you've been following halfway, and tonight you want to surrender that other area, that other half, that other one item, as we pray, surrender it to the Lord and seek him with your whole heart. Or if you've been going through struggles and you feel like you've been taken captive, 
Feel like God's eyes aren't on you? Feel like God has forgotten you? Feel like God has forsaken you? And you've been wondering recently, why has this happened to me? Why me? Why not to others? Why are those who've done this stuff to me have, are prospering? They're still in Jerusalem and I'm stuck in Babylon. Why me? Grab a hold of God's comfort today and God's promise today. That he acknowledges you, that he sees you, that his eyes are upon you, and that he will work even whatever you're going through right now out together for good because he loves you. Thirdly, if you've grown weary in doing good, waiting for the kingdom of God, greater behold to the promise that heaven is coming. These things on this earth are wearing you down. You're seeing destruction and sin and disaster and corruption. It's easy to just watch the news and get our eyes off the Bible and get our eyes on this earth and get real discouraged on the garbage that we see happen all around us. Keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Messiah is coming again. He's going to take us to the mansions he's preparing in heaven for us. And he'll create a new heaven and new earth wherein will dwell righteousness. Maybe sickness or pain or troubles or heartache is wearing you down. Take your eyes off the problem and take, put your eyes upon the Lord. Fourthly, if you've gotten comfortable in the land, if you've forgotten about heaven, you're enjoying life here on this earth, you've reached this level of comfort, and you're forgetting about the lost people in this world. You're living for yourself. You're not hastening the Lord's return. You're not warning a dying world. And I'm ministering to others. And you're happy staying in Babylon. Ask the Lord to stir you up before he has to bring a Nebuchadnezzar into our life and stir us up that way. Better to fall upon the rock than to let the rock fall upon us. Surrender the things of this world to the Lord. Give it all to him. And let him choose what he wants. And let him use you and give you a heart that cares for others and is heaven-focused and compassion towards others and wants to help other people to get there. So as we pray together, if any one of those areas apply to you, let God work in that individual area of your life. There's something else that God's speaking to your heart about. Let him move in that area and build you up and plant you secure and firm in his word and in his purpose and in his plan and in his temple. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name for your great love for us. We praise your name that you keep in coming after us and seeking us out. Thank you for this illustration that you gave to Jeremiah. 
Thank you for caring about those that were taken captive. Thank you for caring about us in our state here. Thank you for caring about us as whether good figs needing to be ministered to or, or, or areas in our life that are still needing to be changed and transformed. Thank you for coming after us and warning us and drawing us with your love. Thank you for your wonderful promises that you've acknowledged us and that your eyes are upon us and that you build us up and that you will give us new hearts. Work in us right now. Give us your heart and give us your mind. Give us your thoughts and use us, build us up as a temple of the Lord, holy and sanctified by you, united together, bound together, serving you and ministering to each other and reaching the lost. For your name's sake, in Yeshua's holy name, amen.